Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. We're continuing this morning in our series we're calling How, trying to give us all some resources to be able to connect, to experience the presence of God in our everyday lives. And about this topic, author Dallas Willard writes these words. He says, I think our most serious failure today is the inability to provide effective, practical guidance as to how to live the life of Jesus. When he says our, their, our failure, he's talking about people like himself, theologians, and, and, and he's talking about people like me, pastors. He's saying, you know, sometimes we don't do a particularly good job at showing people in practical, applicable ways how to connect with Jesus, how to live like Jesus. And so here at Paoli Presbyterian Church, we're trying to correct that. And so we're spending these seven weeks focused on the spiritual disciplines. However, I have to say, I I learned last week when I was in my meeting with my own small group last Sunday night, uh, I realized in the sermon last week when we started this series, I jumped in a little too fast. I I failed to make sure that we were on the same page, that we all had a a shared understanding of what the spiritual disciplines actually are. Uh, There were members in my small group who'd never heard of them, who didn't really even know what the term spiritual disciplines meant, couldn't list them if you asked, and so I I realized it might be good this week to kind of level set a little bit. Uh, Talk generally first about the spiritual disciplines as a whole before then we jump in specifically to the discipline that we're going to talk about today. So I want to start this morning with a definition. And if you have something to take notes, uh, it might be a good one to write down. Definition of the spiritual disciplines is this. says the spiritual disciplines are specific practices that we can take on that foster a growing relationship between us and Jesus, enabling us to change inwardly and outwardly as followers of Jesus altogether. That's what the spiritual disciplines are. We talk a lot around here about how how we, how Christians, are saved by grace. You've heard that, right? What we don't talk about as often is how we are changed by grace. We are saved by grace through faith. That is true. But then we are also changed through the work of faith as the Holy Spirit empowers us to grow. The Bible talks a lot about this, and the Bible often uses metaphors or different images to help us uh, understand this, like, like that of a child who, who's maturing, and so that child now feeds on solid food instead of only drinking milk. Or, or the, the scriptures talk about a picture of the sky at sunrise. As the sun comes up and, and the sky gradually transitions from dark to the brightness of midday. Our scripture uses an image of a tree whose roots go deep, deep down into the soil so that it's connected to the source of water 
below. Every single one of those images is meant to show us what we should expect of ourselves. That in God's grace, we should be growing. That followers of Jesus Christ are meant to grow as grace trains us to change. Now, the way that happens, the way that God has set it up, is through the exercise of these specific disciplines, these thoughtful and intentional actions through which our spirits are enabled to grow. These practices, which are up to us to take, can create that space in our lives for God to do the work of changing us. That's what the spiritual disciplines are. And so the question remains is how do we do them? And we started last week with talking about the discipline of reading and meditating on the words of Scripture. Hopefully some of you were able to put that into practice last week. And today we move to the discipline of prayer. And when we talk about prayer, I would hazard to guess that there's at least two things that are true of most of us in this room. Let me see if any of these apply to you. One, Generally, you'd say you, you want to pray more. You think praying is, is a good thing and you wouldn't mind having more of it in your life. And two, maybe you feel like you're not that good at prayer. Like, like especially when it happens that somebody, you're in a church meeting and somebody annoying like me says, who would, who would like to pray for us? Like everybody's looking at their shoes. Like, I don't, don't, don't call on me, right? So if either one of those is true of you today, you know, you'd, you'd like to pray more, but you don't feel all that good at it, this message is for you. And we get to join right along with Jesus' own disciples. I love this. They are just the same as us because they go to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We get to say the very same thing. We get to learn from Jesus how to pray. And learning from Jesus, from his teachings and from his own lived experience, I want to share with you some really practical, applicable lessons for prayer. There are kind of six maxims, six of them, all right? Six maxims or, or rules uh, for conduct for prayer I, that I think are going to be really, really helpful, really useful as together we learn how to pray. And again, if you have something to take notes, something to write stuff down, I think these are going to be helpful for you as you seek to put this into practice in this coming week. First maxim, the first rule, is to pray regularly. Pray regularly. Jesus did this. That's what the Gospels tell us. They say that, that Jesus made a regular practice of prayer. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip back open to Luke 11 so we can keep looking at that together uh, or in your Bible app as well. But do you notice it says that he was praying in a certain place? The disciples knew how to find Jesus. They knew where he was. They knew to go find him praying because that's where he regularly went. They knew he had a regular practice of prayer. Jesus did that, and we can too. And you know what? If you're just getting started, it is so very simple. I'm going to give you two things you need for praying regularly, just two. You need a time, and you need a place. That's it. I mean, if you want to get started in prayer, really, that is all you need. You need a time. You need to choose the time and commit to it. And, and if you're starting out with this, if prayer hasn't been a really regular part of your life as of late, it's best to start small. You can start for just five minutes. Commit to praying just 
five minutes a day. Pick a time, preferably when you're not gonna be distracted by a whole million other things, and so for me, it's best in the morning. Before everything gets started, I, I told you this, I, I happen to read my Bible and pray at the same time, so same practice as I told you about last week. I get that cup of coffee, because that really, I say that caffeine enables my relationship with Jesus, it does. I get that cup of coffee first, so that like the, the Bible reading thing of last week, I, I told you his first word, you know, his word, first word, I have to get coffee first, I'm sorry, I do. But I get it, and I read my Bible, and I pray. Morning might work for you, it might not. You know, maybe for you it's your lunch break, or right before you go to bed. Whatever it is, just choose that time and stick with it. Just try it this week. Spend five minutes, at least five minutes a day in prayer. So you got the time. And then I find it helpful to choose a place. One place, uh, preferably a place that's comfortable but won't put you to sleep. Uh, but choose that place and go to that place again and again for prayer. And, and, and something kind of special will happen there. Because you know, you know this, places hold special meaning, right? We know this, having have, had to spend a year outside of this church building. It was, it's interesting, over the year when one or two people would pop in, they'd just go, ah. Oh. You know, it's not just religious spaces that have that feeling. You know, it's uh, the place you went on your very first date with your spouse. That place holds special meaning. Or that, you know, remember a time when we used to go to restaurants with our friends? You know, you'd, you'd always sit in that same booth together. You know, just it, because it was your booth. Places that you go to time and time again, it, it, their, their meaning is bigger than just that that place. It's what you experience in that place that makes it special. And so when you have a place that you pray... When you go to that place, when you connect with God, that place kind of helps foster that, that sense of connection as you go there. So pray regularly. The same time, in the same place, every day. Just see if you can do that this week. And then when you do that, when you make the choice to spend time talking to God in prayer every day, next question is how should you do it? How should you approach God in prayer? And that brings us to the second maxim, the second rule for prayer, which is pray authentically. Pray authentically. When you, when you talk to God, be sincere. Be yourself. Speak to God in the same way you would talk with a friend whom you trust, with whom you can totally be yourself. We see Jesus guiding us this in the story he tells in, in Luke 11. He said, when we pray, we should talk in the same way that we do when this friend goes to his other friend for bread. Or in our context, talk to God like you'd talk to your next door neighbor when you go over for a cup of sugar. Right? Or, or he says, you know, talk to God like a child does when they go to one of their parents when they're hungry. That's how we should pray. Think about that for a second. Think about your neighbor when you need that cup of sugar, if you've ever done that, right? When you go over and you knock on your neighbor's door. When you do that, do you, do you use fancy words? Like, like, do you knock on the door and say, dearest next door neighbor, the one who livest most proximate to me? Do we do that? Or do you, you preface that your request for that cup of sugar with a bunch of religious jargon, like, if it be thine will, mightest thou grant me a cup of sugar, anybody? I dare you, really, somebody this week, do it. See what happens, come back and tell me about it. See if that works for you. 
Or think about your kids, right, or any kid you've ever come into contact with. When a child is hungry, do they make a request for something to eat in a polished, polite, or holy way? Maybe your children do, maybe mine. Mine do not. When my children are hungry, they are hangry, and they will stop at nothing. The gloves come off, and they just come to me, and they say, I want food, and I want it now, right? So Jesus is saying, pray like that. Pray your real life. Pray it in real words. Ask God for what you want. Tell God how you feel. If something good is happening in your life, you can tell God why it makes you happy. If there's something difficult going on in your life, you can tell God why it makes you sad or why it makes you mad, and you can ask God to change it. You know, if you need a model for this, if you're not sure, and often we don't always have the words for prayer, the Psalms right in the middle of this Bible, they are a great model for authentic prayer. The psalmists hold nothing back from God. They, they praise God and they rail at God. They lament and they rejoice. In the Psalms, every situation, every feeling, every possible human circumstance, unvarnished, unfiltered, unedited, all brought before God in prayer. And you know, the amazing thing is, every single one of them, every single one of those prayers is accepted by God. You know, I think some of us are afraid sometimes of, of praying too authentically because we think, you know, if God really, really knew who, who we really, really are and what we really, really feel, well, then God would reject us. That God wouldn't love us. But my friends, that is absolutely untrue. Truly, God delights every time we share ourselves completely because God cares for us completely. So we can be and we should be entirely authentic when we pray. Pray authentically. But don't stop there. Because while it is very good to start by being authentic, it's bad to end there. Because that's all we ever did. If, if, if our, our prayers were just always just that kind of authentic bleh, then ultimately our prayers would just end up becoming a, a reflection of our own emotions, and that's it. Spontaneity is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And so what we need to add to our authenticity is a, a plan or a method to discipline it. And so that leads to our third rule for prayer, which is pray methodically. Pray methodically, pray with a method in mind. Jesus gave us this incredibly rich method for prayer that we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And we say it here every Sunday. And, and I'll say, praying this prayer, praying it in worship, it's good, it's great, it's a great way to pray, but I don't think Jesus ever meant for us to just do that, to pray it by rote once a week in church. My sense is, again, that the, the disciples are asking him, teach us to pray, and I think he's doing that. He's by giving them a method, a way that they can expand upon this prayer. And so I just want to talk about how, how we can do that. Using this uh, version that's here in, in, in Luke, Jesus says praying, it, it begins with recognizing God naming God for who God is and giving God the glory. He says, when you pray, call God Father. 
The word Jesus uses here is actually Abba. It's a daddy. It's this intimate, connected, relational word, recognizing that, that when we pray, we're talking to the best, the most loving, most powerful and present dad there could ever be. Hallowed be your name. You know, a, a person's name in Jesus' day represented their entire character, everything that was known about them. And so when we're talking about the name of God, then we're referring to everything that God has ever revealed about himself, past, present, and future. And so in prayer, you can offer up the different names or, or attributes of God, all the ones you can think of. You can name God as loving and wise, powerful, healer, savior, Lord, compassionate. To hallow God's name is, is to praise and thank God for who he is. Your kingdom come, Jesus says. You know, who we believe we are praying to has, has a pretty powerful effect on, on how and what we pray. And so when we begin our prayers, Father, hallowed be your name, by recognizing who God is, well, then that leads us to pray not for my kingdom to come, but for his. I pray less about getting everything I want, and I spend more energy focusing on what God wants, your kingdom come. Jesus' prayer starts with God, but then it does go on to talk about us, about our needs, our desires. Jesus teaches us to lay before God our present needs. Give us each day our daily bread. Tell God, what do you need today? Not tomorrow, not next year, but today. Jesus says you can ask God to provide for that. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Jesus is, is teaching us here not just to pray about our present needs, but also our past mistakes. You know, we don't have to pretend that we're perfect when we approach God in prayer. He knows that we're not. But nor do we need an intermediary to go between us and God to receive forgiveness. God, God simply knows our sins, and he's ready and willing to forgive when we ask. We got our present needs, our past mistakes, but also our future worries. That's what we're talking about when we say, lead us not into the time of trial. We're praying for ourselves and for the people that we love. We pray for protection, for guidance, for God's presence to be with us, whatever may come in the, in the days that lie before us. The Lord's, method, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's one good method for prayer. Another one, some of you may know this, I, I learned it probably somewhere in middle or high school, uh, from one of my youth pastors, it's the ACTS prayer. Have you heard of this one? It's an acronym uh, for prayer, and it's actually quite similar in form to the Lord's Prayer if you think about it. ACTS stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You can try this to, to just kind of outline your prayers in this way. Again, using your own authentic words, but starting with adoration, adoring God, telling God what you love about who he is, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his grace, his power. And then confession follows next, telling God the ways that you fall short, the mistakes you've made, the ways you've failed to live up to who you know God has created you to be. T is for thanksgiving. You can thank God first for forgiving you of the sins you've just confessed, but then thanking him all the more for all the blessings that he's given you in your life. And then supplication, that's just a fancy church word for asking God for what you need. 
So the Lord's Prayer and the Acts Prayer, they're, they're both good methods for prayer. They're not perfect, they're not one size fits all, but they're worth trying. And as you pray, methodically, as you allow your prayers to have a certain structure to them, I wanna encourage you in this fourth maxim, which is to pray specifically. Pray specifically. I think sometimes we're a little bit hesitant to do this, to be too specific when we pray. You know, it feels selfish or presumptuous, or we think, you know, God, God already knows what I need. He doesn't need me to ask for it in order for him to provide it, so kind of why, why bother? Or I'll tell you something I'm afraid of sometimes. Sometimes I'm afraid to ask too specifically because, frankly, I'm afraid God might say no, and I'm a little bit afraid to ask, so I don't. So I get it, I understand those feelings of hesitancy when it comes to praying specifically, but I think it's really, really important. It's important because God delights in our prayers. God delights when we come to him and ask for things. God, God compares, or Jesus compares God to a father who can't wait for his children to come and ask him for what they need. God loves it when we come to him and we ask him specifically. So when you pray, try, try not just, oh, God, help me, but God, help me be more patient with this really difficult person. Or God, help me have more courage for this meeting that I have coming up. God loves when we're specific in our prayer. And, and scripture is actually pretty clear that sometimes, not always, but, but sometimes our prayers actually have an impact on the ways God works in the world. Sometimes God chooses to do something or not do something precisely because someone specifically asked. So pray specifically. And when you do, it's helpful also then to employ the fifth rule of prayer, which is to pray attentively. Pay attention to what happens when you pray in your heart, in your, your own sense of self, and in the world around you. Prayer not only changes the world, but prayer changes us, so pay attention. Something I find really helpful for me is to write my prayers down. When it's me on my own, I write my prayer in a journal. In our small group, we have a, a running list that goes back to, I think, September of everything we've prayed for over our weeks together. We write them down, and here's why. Maybe you're more holy than me, maybe you have a better memory than me, I don't know, but I will tell you, when I pray for something and I don't write it down, I often forget that I've prayed for it. And, you know, I pray, but then I just kind of go along in my way, and the problem with that is that sometimes God actually answers those prayers, and I don't notice, because I've forgotten that I've prayed for it. And so while, yes, objectively in the world, it's great that I've prayed for something and that God has answered that prayer, subjectively, it's a real bummer because I miss out. I miss out on getting to experience the incredible encouragement it brings when God specifically answers those specific prayers that I've prayed. I want to tell you, we've been actually putting this into practice these last couple months. Your staff and your session uh, you don't know this, but all through the month of March, your staff and your session were praying specifically. And what we were praying for was as we were preparing for our Easter worship out in the parking lot and, and reopening for in-person ministry here, we were praying 
for two things to happen specifically related to our vision of ending relational poverty as a church. We were praying, one, that people would make a decision to come to faith, to follow Jesus Christ. We were praying that people would make that decision to profess faith in Christ. And then second, particularly related to reopening, to being able to kind of be in each other's physical presence again after a year, we were praying that that, that relational connection with one another, for, for particularly people who'd been lonely and more isolated and really needed this connection here, that, that this would be a healing place, a, a relationally connecting place once again. So that's what we were praying for for that month, and I have to ask you, how many of you witnessed what happened that first Sunday when we reopened here on April 11th, either in person or online? Just let me, how many would you say, would you say who saw what happened on that Sunday were those two specific prayers answered? Like just a little, like I was exhausted after that because I just was seeing and witnessing like, oh my word, how God can answer prayer. How God can answer specific prayer and is doing it even still today. And so I, I, I have to tell you, we are doing it again. The session and the staff, and we brought the deacons in with us on it to this time as we approach the finish line of fundraising for this Transform campaign. We are praying. We're praying specifically, and we're praying attentively for now three things. We figured God could do two pretty well last time. Let's add a third. So we said, we were just praying, we're praying for broad congregational participation that the majority of our church family would just answer the call to give in some way. We're praying for us to be able to meet or possibly even exceed that $3.2 million goal. And we're praying for God to do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine. Those are the three things we're praying for this month. I invite you to join us specifically and attentively praying for those things. And it's the third part of that prayer, that God would do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, that I'm gonna jump on for our sixth and final rule for prayer. And that is pray hopefully. Pray hopefully. Scripture tells us that God can and will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Now, that doesn't mean that we will always get everything we ask for in prayer. Sometimes God does say yes to our specific prayers, but sometimes he doesn't. Praying hopefully, though, even in the midst of that, means that, that we know that God is bigger and we trust that God is better than anything and everything we could ask for. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer might be no, or it might be wait. And when that is the case, we hold on to hope that, that God has a good reason for that answer. That the no or the wait that was said was for our good. And what is out of a place of deep, deep love for us. So praying hopefully means that, that we trust that God can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And it means that in those times when life is hard and Sometimes life is very, very hard. When we don't know what to pray or how to pray or, or where even to begin, we have that promise. That promise that, that Mandy read earlier from the book of Romans. We have the promise that the Holy Spirit prays for us. 
on our behalf. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, Scripture says. For we do not know what to pray or how to pray, as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. I love that. That gives me so much hope. It gives me hope because it tells me that I can do my part. I can pray regularly and authentically and methodically and specifically and attentively, or at least I can try. I can do my part, but in the end, through it all, God does his part. The one who hears my prayers, who receives my prayers, who delights in my prayers, is praying with me, is praying for me. And when it all boils down, that's really all I need. So we're going to come to the Lord's table today. We're going to meet Jesus here in the way that he has told us he wants to meet us. uh, Through this gift of this bread and this cup. And if you don't yet have uh, one of these little guys out from the table, they're on the table out there, you can grab one. I hope you will. But as we do, we want to make it a, a regular practice once again in this church, every time we gather for communion, as a way of praying, to say together these words of our faith that we spent this last season studying as a prayer, that we can offer up our voices joined together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. You'll see them on your screen. I invite you to join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.